Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. What did it feel like the first time you put on the Apple Vision Pro? I think that the, the, the moment that was more amazing and terrifying to me wasn't the first time I put it on. It was when I first took it off. I had been in this incredibly immersive, unbelievable layer of technology over reality. And when I took it off, the world felt completely flat. That is Nick Bilton, special correspondent for Vanity Fair and the original OG host of Inside the Hive. His newest feature for the magazine is titled Why Tim Cook is Going All In on the Apple Vision Pro. And I'm Brian Stelter. Welcome to Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive, where today we are going inside AR, that's augmented reality, and AI, artificial intelligence talking about where these new technologies are taking the media industry and all of us as consumers. So I think most people have not yet tried Apple Vision Pro, but Nick, you and I have, you've spent a lot of time with it. You have one right by your computer there. Why did you spend time writing about this, interviewing Tim Cook, uh, explaining the future to us? Why was the Apple Vision Pro worthy of that attention for you? Well, I should probably start by saying it, it, it originally was not. So I have been a tech reporter for 20 years. You and I used to work together at the New York Times. uh, And um, we wrote a couple of stories together where media and tech uh, collided before they permanently collided, which is what they've done now. But but back, you know, I remember in 2013, I was still at the Times and I was invited to go and see the very first Oculus uh, before Facebook had acquired them. And I came out to LA and I, I went to a, a hotel nearby and Oculus had booked a whole a room and there was computers everywhere and all this stuff. And I put the goggles on, the Oculus goggles, and it was my first experience with VR. And I had this like, wow, holy shit moment that we all have. And then I kind of had this panic and anxiety and claustrophobia because you can't see the real world. It's like an existential dread that happens. Like you're stuck in this like cubist digital realm and you're like, am I ever going to get out of this matrix that I'm in? So over the last 10 years, all these companies, they send me the new thing and I put it on and then I put it in a closet and I never use it again. And so when (laughs) Apple announced last year the new Vision Pro, I assumed it was the same thing. And I had absolutely no desire 
to go and experience it. And then my editor had asked me to come down to Apple uh, in Los Angeles. They have a, a headquarters here and went to the to the office, reluctantly, you know, went into the to this room, reluctantly put this thing on and then was <laughs> completely and utterly blown away by it. How long was your first demo? So Apple curates everything, you know, every little detail of everything. And it's what makes them Apple. And it was a 30-minute curated demo. Some of the apps weren't working yet. It was, I think it was last July or August that I did it. And I uh, I remember I left the offices and I went to take some notes because I was like, okay, I know I'm going to be writing about this experience. And I went mm. to a nearby coffee shop and I opened my laptop and it felt like this relic that someone had like given me from Chernobyl or something like that. It just, my laptop and my phone immediately felt old in the same way that when you first held an iPhone, your old flip phone felt like it was 30, 40 years old. And it was just a pretty fascinating experience. And the thing that was the biggest eye-opening thing and the thing that Apple did was they have what's called pass-through. So you can actually see the real world around you, but it's not a digital replica. It it's so clear and crisp, especially in, in bright light, that it looks like you're just looking through a transparent uh, display. I have found it hard to explain, though, to, to folks who have not done the demo, have not tried it on, have not seen it in a store. I have found it hard to explain why it feels like a revolutionary technology. You can't really sell this in an ad. You can't really sell this in an interview. Let's listen to Tim Cook try, though. Here's the Apple CEO talking to Michael Strahan on GMA. Uh, how, this is how he describes the Apple Vision Pro. Oh, I think it's going to be used in so many different ways because it's a, it's a spatial computer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the iPhone introduced us to mobile computing. The Mac introduced us to personal computing. This is the first spatial computer. And people are going to interact with it in different ways. Some people will connect with it, uh, with FaceTime and so forth. Some people will train on it. Surgeons will train on it. Um, it's just the, the number of use cases is like a computer. Spatial computer. Nick, what does that actually mean? Is that phrase going to catch on? That's a funny. It's funny. I had to, for the article, I had to research what a spatial computer was myself. The concept is that it is a computer that is in your space. It's around you. And what I think is so fascinating about this concept, and look, Apple did it, right? Uh, they have a lot to fix. We can we can talk about the problems. and, and yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but they have introduced, they, they weren't the first and they never are the first, but they have, they are the ones that, that create the category really because they are Apple. And um and so now that category is a is, is mainstream as far as I'm concerned. You don't even though only a few hundred thousand people have purchased an Apple Vision Pro, like it's not going away. This is the future. It's just a matter of how long before we all get there. We've known for a long time in the tech industry that you know you were going to have these big clunky computers, right? That these supercomputers used to be in, in other rooms, and then they just became these massive desktops, and then they became laptops, and then they became smartphones, and now. The goal, and there's an old Steve Jobs clip about this from from 30 years ago, where he talks about how headphones put music in your ear and we need to come up with a way to put screens on your face, essentially. And Hmm. we are, we're at the beginning of that. And it's going to be this world where everything around you is augmented. Like when you walk down the street, and this is not now, this is the future, but when you walk down the street, there will be ads that are specifically displayed for you on billboards that don't exist. You'll be taking photos and memories and all these things in real time when you want them and AI will help you with that. And, and, 
and you'll be consuming content that is specifically for you. There's all these things that are going to happen. And that is what the beginning of spatial computing is. And also I work on mine. I, I, I put mm-hmm. my Vision Pro on. I, I put my laptop in. It recognizes my laptop. And then I have, I, I write on an iMac screen. Uh, in front of me. And I have research on this side and I have, you know, music playing on the left and text behind me. And and it, it's it's a pretty wild experience. Right. It may change what we think of as rooms in our house, right? Because you have screens in different places. It, it may really reorder the way that people work and interact in their lives. What this does is it creates, you get your own personal movie theater uh, on your face, essentially. Yeah, my hottest take is it actually will help reduce loneliness, that this is not not a solution for loneliness, but when you can feel more present with people through this device or through devices like it, you know, there will be competitors. um, It'll actually bring people who feel isolated more in touch with others. That's my that's my hopeful take on it, because when I put it on in January and I looked at those spatial photos and videos where it kind of looks like looking like a 3D image, you know, you feel like you're you're watching a kid's birthday party, but you feel like you can be in it. You're inside it. And and I was overwhelmed by this feeling that I wish my mom could have had this. You know, my mm-hmm. mom passed away a few months ago, her, the final years of her I'm life. Sorry. You know, she's in a lot of pain. She's a lot of suffering. And, you know, I'd visit as much as I could I'd bring my kids down. But I I, I, I could imagine a world in 10 years where someone like my mom can put on, would be able to put on this device and feel to some degree like she was more present in in our lives. And it's not perfect and it's not as good as the real thing, but it would be progress. And uh, so that's why I came away just with my mind blown. I think everybody has a version of that when they try this stuff out. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the, the, there's, there's two features to me, you know, look, the entertainment's great. The movie theater in my house is great. I will say just a little side note, like, I I have a 75-inch TV in my family room. I haven't turned it on since I got the Apple Vision Pro. I sit in the really? family room. I sit in the family room. I lay on the couch and I watch movies and TV shows and IMAX on my ceiling because it's just huh. so much better and crisper and clearer. But 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 the, the two features to me that are 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 were like wow moments. Yeah. One was this, there's this feature called environments and. Um, you can go to like Mount Hood and you can sit on the edge of the lake and you can hear the rain and you look around and it is because it's the 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 quality of the display is 23 billion pixels. It's more than <laughs> double what a 75 inch uh, 4K television is. And that's that's mm-hmm. the number of pixels that are being streamed into your eyes. And so it looks it looks like reality. And if it if only if the only thing missing is the smell, but other than that, it looks so real. So I do that. But the other thing that is fascinating is I, in anticipation of getting my Apple Vision Pro, I updated my iPhone and I started doing these, what are called spatial videos of my kids. And mm. I had no idea what they were yeah. going to look like. And and just random stuff. But they'd be like, you know, uh, my two boys, they would be like fighting or like being like playing Ford or playing music, whatever. And I would just do these videos. And the first time my wife saw them, because she wasn't there when I was filming them, her mouth was just like, holy like she just literally couldn't believe it looked like she was actually there with them. And it's, right. it takes these mundane moments and it just makes them into something really special. 
you did point out there are some flaws. There are some issues with it. I saw a great tweet yes. basically said all the reviews say the same thing. This is amazing. And it also sucks. And it's kind of how I feel, you know, the, the price is so high and you know that, you know, that what you're wearing is the worst version of what this is going to be right. In the same way that the first iPhone was so rudimentary compared to what we have today. Uh, so let's get into the, the, the pros and cons and also add in another, you know, term here. This is AR augmented reality. Let's talk about AI after a quick break. You come to the New Yorker Radio Hour for conversations that go deeper with people you really want to hear from, whether it's Bruce Springsteen or Questlove or Olivia Rodrigo, Liz Cheney, or the godfather of artificial intelligence, Jeffrey Hinton, or some of my extraordinarily well-informed colleagues at The New Yorker. So join us every week on the New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Hive. Welcome back to Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive. I'm Brian Selter speaking with Nick Bilton about all things Apple, AR, AI, the future of tech and media. Uh, Nick, uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, who you interviewed recently for your piece, he has been promising uh, big AI innovations uh, with Apple technology later this year, basically empowering, improving the iPhone. Uh, What do you know about that? So it's really interesting. I've been covering tech for a long time and you get these cycles and now it's AI. Every single startup in Silicon Valley has some form of AI. Companies that had nothing to do with AI rebranded themselves as AI startups. And it's just, it's constant. It's all, every press release in my inbox, every pitch, every person I talk to there, AI, 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 that's it. And what's fascinating is that every time you pick up your phone, there is more stuff happening with AI within there but when you look at the Apple website, the words AI don't exist. And if you go huh. look at Apple Vision Pros, the whole the tech page, the intro page, they never once use the term artificial intelligence. And I think the reason is, is because they see that as that's the plumbing. And I think that what Apple has to struggle with from an investor standpoint is they don't want to tell you how the sausage is being made and all the stuff that's going, all the AI they're doing. Uh, but they do have to make it more apparent to people that that is the technology they are working with because investors mm. are, are you know, uh, largely on Wall Street. A lot of them are morons, quite frankly. You know, when you talk to them, you realize like, oh, these are people that, that don't really know what they're doing. They're lemmings. They just follow whatever everyone else is doing. And they... Mm. And they're like, oh, if it doesn't have AI in it, it's not a, it's not a good investment. But the reality <laughs> is, you know, that's not the case, but I think Apple is going to have to struggle with how much they're going to talk about the technology versus how much they're going to make it a a human experience. 
So perhaps that's why Cook came out last week and said, there's a huge opportunity for Apple with Gen AI and AI. So what we'll be watching on our headsets, I know Apple doesn't like the word headset, but we'll be watching on these devices is, is what? Created by a bunch of robots? So you're starting to see the very beginnings of it. So there was an author in, I think it was somewhere in Asia, who just won an uh, award for her novel and then admitted that 5% of it was written by ChatGTP. So you're starting to see, you know, in Hollywood, we're seeing people who are uh, using uh, ChatGTP and other AI platforms, Anthropic and so on, in writer's rooms to like help punch up scripts and things like that or, or come up with ideas. And it's pretty good at it. It's actually very good at it. And I think you're starting to see it become a tool. There is a version of the future where the AI not only can predict what it is that you want to watch based on your past habits and, and so on and so forth, but the way the AI is so advanced that it knows your own you know, biology and metabolics and so on, that it could predict what you want to watch on a level that you can't even comprehend. And so you sit down in front of your TV or or you put on your 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 Apple Vision Pro and you're like, um, I uh, I got 20 minutes before dinner. Uh, I want to watch a comedy set in New York with Brian Stelter and Nick Bilton as the lead and uh, and make it funny. And, or it just knows that that's what you want to watch. And and I think that it, to me that's that is the future. It's funny. I brought I brought this up to Tim Cook when I interviewed him. Uh, and he doesn't think that's the future, but a lot of other people in Silicon Valley have talked to do. Now, wh- why was Cook uh, skeptical of this vision? I don't know. He, it's interesting. It was the last question I asked him in, in our in our interview um, about Apple Park, and he had said, he said, I don't believe that's true. We, you know, he's like, we believe that the tools we create are for people to create content and make things, and and I believe that humans will will always be more creative than machines. So we will get to a point where there's actually infinite amounts of content. Today, it already feels like there are, but we will get to that place pretty quickly. It's not just infinite amounts of content. It's infinite amounts of content that is created specifically for you. For you. Mm. For you. That's it. It is for you and no one else. Is all of this inevitable? More on that in a minute. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterize the early years of Black Twitter, to the social movements, the voices and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th. back on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Stelter speaking with Nick Bilton. Nick, you were at Apple Park last month. For people who don't know, you know, as we're talking about AR and AI and Apple Vision Pro and all of that, for people who don't know what it's like, you know, when you're visiting Apple Park, when you're going to see the CEO, set that scene for us. Describe what it's like. Well, it's interesting. It's my first 
time going to Apple Park and, you know, the building that some people call it the spaceship. And um, it's a big massive oval circular oval building, massive yeah. circular yeah. building. Have you been before? I've been a few times, but never inside the actual big building. I've only been there for the, the events big, and they have that separate events. events building. Yeah. Yeah. The Steve Jobs Theater. So I I had never been before, but I I got I went up, I got on a plane, got my rental car, and I'm driving through this neighborhood and I'm looking at my maps and and all of a sudden in front of me is this building that literally just, it looks like a spaceship a mile wide landed in the middle of San Jose. It is the craziest thing. I mean, I literally said, wow, as I pulled up. And I have to say, it's without a doubt, one of the most astounding corporate buildings I have ever seen in my life. It is, it is so beautiful. They call it Apple Park because it's a park. It's, there is a meadow and there's ducks and there is, uh, it, uh, everywhere you look, you just feel like you're in you're in the middle of the woods, um, and there's beautiful trees. And then inside, everything feels like a giant Apple store. Uh, and I went into the cafeteria, and it's three stories high, and there are trees in there that are on the ground floor that you're 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 literally sitting next to them as you're on the third floor. They're so big, and um, I got to interview the the uh, industrial design team, Tim Cook. Uh, uh, you know, the marketing team, everyone. And um, it was it was really fascinating to see how this stuff is all made and the meticulous nature with which they plan everything. It, it, you know, from the building to the demos to the, to, to the Apple Vision Pro itself. When you're in the room with Tim Cook, do you feel like he carries the weight of the world? Do you feel like, you know, is he thinking through the second and third and fourth order ramifications of the technology that he is bringing to the world? And Vision Pro being the latest example. That is a great question. And I don't know the answer. And it's something that I have thought about a lot. And I think that what's interesting is my belief, and I don't want to sound too dark here, is that that technology will ultimately be our demise as a civilization because it gets so big and so out of hand that we can't control it. And then it's lights out. And like, that's, there's theories, lots of scientific theories that this is what happens with other worlds and other species and sorry, uh, alien plants. And we, we we've can, made enough bombs to kill us all already. Yeah. 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 And AI is way more powerful than any of the bombs we've ever created. And so. Is that true? Is that already, is that already true today? Why? Well, it, it's not true today, but it, it will be true very soon. And, and the reason I bring this up is because I think that Tim Cook has to struggle with the fact that the iPhone is an amazing, amazing device that takes, we can connect to everyone. We can, we have the world's information at our fingertips. I can, I can take videos and pictures of my children and my loved ones, and I can go back and watch them. And it's amazing. It's everything about it is amazing, but it takes me away from the real world. And there are times that I hate it. And, and I know Everyone feels yes. that way. Yes, and if you're going to tell me, if you're going to tell me that once you enter that that one mile radius spaceship sphere and they don't feel that way in there, like bullshit. Everyone feels that way, and so I do think that he he has to struggle with that. Um, and I know that they try to create technologies to solve the technological problem they created, screen time, for example, and things like that. But you know, the 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 end of my article on the Apple Vision Pro was me talking about how after using it for a couple of weeks, 
the big problem, there's a lot of problems, you know, it weighs too much. It hurts your face after you use it for a couple of hours. It's, um, you have an external battery pack. It's like the field of you could be a little bit better. There's, you know, there's all these issues, which they will figure out and fix over time. The price will come down. You know, the first iPhone was so expensive and then the prices came down and so on. The problem is that when you use it for quite a while and you take it off, the world feels flat and boring. It doesn't feel as bright and as cool and as fun. And and I can't imagine that anyone at Apple, Tim Cook included, didn't didn't experience that. And so does he struggle with that? I, he didn't tell me he did. And I asked, but but he uh but I can't imagine he doesn't. It's what I felt a little bit when I took it off after just a 30 minute demo that the world feels a little flat. The real world compared to whatever you call the world you're in Apple Vision Pro. And I, I guess Apple's point is, you know, they, they don't want it to, to feel like separate worlds. <laughs> it's augmented reality. It's not virtual reality. It's not the metaverse, right? Apple would never want to use the word metaverse in this conversation. No, it's not the metaverse. The metaverse is for people like Mark Zuckerberg who have anxiety around being around other humans and then um and they Ouch. feel mo- more comfortable in a digital world than they do around other other people with limbs and and uh, and mouths and eyes and so on. That's what the Damn. metaverse is. The world we live in today, Brian, is it is cre- has been created by people who feel more comfortable communicating on a computer than in real life. That's who founded social media. I know all these guys. I've met them. I've I've worked with them. I've interviewed them. I've spent time with them. They feel more comfortable talking to people behind a computer. And now the rest of the world has adapted to that. That is the metaverse. <laughs> and the reason no one wants to go into the metaverse is because it's one step too far, right? But mm. what what the Vision Pro is, is it is augmented reality. I still exist in the world when I have it on. Right. It's a way to be both. Yeah. Yes. It's a yeah. way to be both. And I guess, you know, it's funny, our old, our old good friend, uh, David Carr used to say to me, be careful what you write because the future ages quickly. And <laughs> I don't know how quickly this is going to, how this is going to age. There's no question that we will eventually get to a point that the glasses on my face right now will be the Apple Vision Pro. I don't know when, there's a year or 10 years. I don't care when. But that's going to happen or, or there'll be a contact lens or whatever it is. And so right. the question is, is like, you know, we lay in bed with our kids at night and we scroll on our phones, right? Will we lay in bed and be on our augmented reality headsets all the time? And then at what age do they get to do that? And, and what does that world look like? Is that a world we want to live in? I don't know. I truly don't know. <laughs> but I think the, the, what I, but what I took away from your piece is that that world is inevitable. Uh, inevitable. Let, me, let me quote. Let me quote from what you wrote here. You said, some of us are running as fast as we can to get there and others are being dragged, kicking and screaming, but we're all going there. So how are you so sure? What brings you, what makes you so confident about what you're describing? Um, what makes me so confident? Um, my gut, honestly, I know that sounds ridiculous, but I knew the first time I saw Twitter uh, in 2000, late 2006, I knew it was going to be huge. There was no one on it. And I literally just looked at the white box and I was like, this is going to be huge. And that's mm. why I started covering Twitter. It, this is going to be it. And I think this is this is one of those. Um, and mm. I think it's for better or for worse. I do worry. I worry about the world my kids are going to grow up in 1000%. It's funny. I, I wanted to write a novel about um, 
if something happens in society, technology goes wrong, kills a billion people, whatever it is, and the world comes together and they say, okay, we have to stop. We have to stop building technology and we have to find the perfect time where technology was good enough that it helps society, but not bad enough that it killed everyone or could kill anyone. And I was, and I love thinking about what's that perfect year? Is it 1985? Is it today? Is it yet to come? But I think that I do worry about what we're going to pass some threshold where, where society just is walking around with glasses on, staring at screens and not each other. And I think we're going there and there's not much we can do to stop it. But isn't the point of that novel, which I would love to read, uh, we would never be able to agree. We would never be able to set that date. Exactly. Yeah. Although I do think the 80s was pretty epic. No, no way. No way. What a world we live in. Nick Bilton, Mm -hmm. thanks so much. Thank you so much. And don't miss Nick's article all about Vision Pro at VanityFair.com. This episode of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair is produced by Michael May. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our engineer is Gabe Kuroka. Mixing is by Bob Mallory. And I'm Brian Stelter. Thanks so much for listening. You can find me on Twitter and threads at Brian Stelter. And we'll be back next Thursday with more Inside the Hive. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 